always do with this time I go for mine, I get to shine Now throw your hands up in the sky back to another edition of the Call Up Podcast. Today, I'm so happy to introduce uh, a man I got to know for a good while. Uh, first heard about him through the uh, Major Figure um, Podcast, and then I had to do my research to learn a little bit more about him, which had an interesting story behind it. Mr. Roy Fox, what's going on? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Good. All right. So I... I like I said before in the, in the intro, uh, I got to know about who you are through uh, Matt Cardona and all the crazy stories that you guys went uh, back and forth with. Uh, I seen you at one of the, the, the live shows, which I, I thought you were really entertaining at the time. So I, I said, you know what? I want to sit down. And when I started doing these projects of interviewing different people, uh, you were one of the people I had in mind because I just wanted to um, know more about you. Yeah. Well, the live show went... The- were you in Chicago, or you just saw some of the footage? I saw some of the footage because I, oh, okay, I couldn't make yeah. it to Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was supposed to go to Chicago that time, but then my, um, you know, things happened. I couldn't catch a flight, so I ended up just canceling everything. Um, so, like, when exactly did you um, like get into the business? So what happened was, is uh, I. Uh, actually had my training in 1998. Uh, I went out the week before SummerSlam. I had planned on going out a year before, but I played uh, a little Sunday afternoon football and I ended up tearing my ACL trying to block a pass. And it was horrible at the time, but if I wouldn't have torn my ACL and and delayed my arrival to uh, Cincinnati by that eight months, the MTV thing would have never happened and never would have been rapid delivery Rory Fox, you know, known for the whole MTV uh, thing. Right. So with the with the MTV spot, I know that, the, you know, I was listening to a story before where they were actually looking at another guy and he like dropped the ball and then you picked it up and you just ran with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's how the wrestling business works. If, if mm-hmm. someone someone else jacks off or they're a they're a screw up, someone else is right there ready for the opportunity. You know, I just took the ball and ran with it. I I had the great story from. Watkins, Iowa, population of 100. I had worked in a, a factory for two and a half years saving for pro wrestling because I knew I wanted to do this. And I had to find out because I was watching every Monday night, just living and dying with Monday Night Raw and the whole attitude era. And it's like, if I don't find out if I can do this, you know, I'll never be able to live with myself. And But uh, the whole story was uh, with Cincinnati. I, you know, I grew up with a pro wrestling fan. I started watching wrestling around 1984, 85. You know, we didn't have cable or anything like that. There was there was little advertisements about coming soon to uh, KWWL, which is our NBC affiliate. Mm-hmm. WWF superstars of wrestling, the Junkyard Dog, Hulk Hogan, all these crazy names. I'm like, what is this? I got to find out what the heck this is. I got to find out who this Junkyard Dog is, who these British Bulldogs are, and... I watched that first episode of Superstars Wrestling, and I saw Jesse the Body and Vince McMahon and Bruno San Martino. And then I saw the British Bulldogs wrestle. And once I saw them move, I was like, wow, I don't know what this is, man, but I'm hooked now. And then the once I, oh my God, once I saw the Saturday night main event started every couple of months, I would, I would stay up and watch it on Saturday nights. I'd record it on my VCR, and I'd be watching it all week. And my brother and my mom would be like, will you shut that damn thing off? You've been watching that all week. And 
<laughs> and and uh, one of my na- one of my friends out in the country, he would get the 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 Royal Rumble. He'd get the pay per views every so often on the big old satellite dish, and I would record that, and I'd be watching that for a month, and I'd chase my sisters all around the house like I was Ultimate Warrior running to the ring, and uh, <laughs> but but yeah, that's that's how I uh, I fell in love with pro wrestling, and the reason. I ended up in Cincinnati was, you know, I, I had this little booklet. I looked up uh, the different places, Killer Kowalski. Um, what were the other ones? Uh, the Monster Factory, Larry Sharp. But I, I called I called Cincinnati, and Les Thatcher actually answered the phone. The other places was all voicemails. And right. uh, Killer Kowalski was like, leave a message. Give it to your best shot. And I was like, okay, he's... Killer Kowalski's the one that trained uh, Triple H and mm-hmm. Barry Saturn and, and some other guys. But, uh, yeah, Les, Les took the time to talk to this idiot on the phone, and I asked him all these dumb questions and <laughs> if he knew Rowdy Roddy Piper and everything else. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the was, things that we, always, that, we, that we would normally do. Because I, I remember yeah. when, I, when, when I was young, I did the same thing. I, I looked for a wrestling school. And, and I went out there to try and learn um, the things that I seen on TV, and that was one of the first thing I asked. I was like, "Hey, have you ever met Hulk Hogan? Have you ever done this?" And you know, they look at you and they're like, they just shake their head and they're just like, "Just get in the ring. Let's let's just go." Yeah, yeah. He he took the time to answer my stupid questions, and we discussed going out there. And me and my dad went out. We drove the five hundred miles out to Cincinnati, and I stayed out there for a couple of days and. Uh, just got to see what it was all about and it's like oh my god there's this wrestling ring it's like i got i gotta i gotta get in there and oh my god he uh he showed me around and yeah fortunately i didn't take a bump yet it's like he made sure i was paid and all in for training before i took that bump in the ring (laughs) he he wanted to make sure that that check is clear yeah he didn't he didn't uh he, he didn't run me off before I paid, you know, he didn't have me like take a bump while I was visiting. It was like, right. once you move out here, then we'll get you to take that bump. Exactly. But, uh, and and, the th- and the, another reason I, I chose lesson schools, not only that he had all kinds of time to talk to me about it was, you know, he's five, eight and uh-huh. he's from the, the, the lands land of the giant era. And he had a 20 some year career. He, uh, then he ended up in broadcasting. So, Obviously, this guy was very talented to, to stick around the wrestling business for 20-some years. And here he is all these years later. He's still running camps. And so, yeah, I made the right choice. Les gave me all the fundamentals I needed to succeed in pro wrestling. Uh, who, whoever I wrestled, no matter what happened in the ring, I had that basic foundation to get through the match. Right. Was there ever a point in the beginning of like of your career, like when you started in like, you know, going to school and, and taking the bumps and moving out where you kind of just said to yourself, like, is this something that I really want? Or, is it, or was it just like, I'm finally here and this is what I'm meant to do. Well, I, I had my doubts early on, you know, when I was in training and uh, once I started wrestling on matches and, you know, all the, <laughs> all those $25 paydays and, uh, you're working as much as you can to, to pay your rent and to pay for your training. Cause once you pay to train there, it's like, there's still monthly training dues, you know, that mm-hmm. it's not free to just train in that ring week by week. And that's later on. It turned into, Oh, Hey brother, this is a, 
we'll put your your twenty five dollars towards your uh, weekly dues. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, it was it, you know it was it was a struggle. We're all living in the crappy apartments, but damn it, once you got in that ring, whether it was twenty five people or two hundred people, mm-hmm. it's just that that was your canvas. That was your theater. That little spotlight. There was no nowhere else I wanted to be was in that ring. It's pretty much like all the hard work that you put in training and getting up early in the morning. This is what, um, when it was pretty much yeah. all boiled down to like, this is what you were looking forward to, uh, each and every week. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and when I trained, it wasn't like this now where, you know, guys get to be around, uh, AEW or WWE and they got a couple months of training. I, I had eight months of training at the school before Les allowed me on a show. It's like, you're, you're not getting out in the ring until you're ready. You know, you're not going to embarrass me. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I trained for eight months before I got my first match. Uh, Cody Hawk, the guy that has trained Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, Sammy Callahan, Eli Drake. It took him almost two years before wow. he got his first match. And you know, the reason he's so good is he got to referee for, for two years. So he's in the ring. You know, we had shows where Ricky Morton was there, bullpain, uh, Tracy Smothers, Bunkhouse Buck, and I mean, just different legends from the Smoky Mountain area as well. And you can learn so much. And that's why he's such a great teacher now. He just, he's so fundamentally sound. Right. So one, one thing that, um, that I learned about you as I was doing my research, um, besides um, us knowing about the match that you had with uh, Matt Cardona, um, was that you? You actually you had a match with John Moxley. Yeah. Oh, did you and see you, that on YouTube? Yeah, and you you have a uh, you have a win over uh, a, yeah. a former AEW champion. So yeah. I got a kick out of watching that. It was it was a really good match. Yeah, there was a you know a couple little slip ups in there, but overall it was still a good yeah. quality match. And if you actually watch some of that match, uh, there's a move in there. I did I did one lucha move. We had this. Uh, guy from Mexico that lived in Cincinnati, Super Zeta. I was like, I was like, Zeta, I want to learn a Lucha move today. And, and he taught me, I ended up doing it in the match and it looked really pretty. But yeah, John, uh, John was just such a raw talent and he already had this, like he was already a wild man out in the ring. And I just remember uh, going to training or stopping by there to talk to Cody to dub over some tapes. So I had more stuff to get my footage out there. And there'd be John just training by himself. We had a little weight bench and a, a, just some little, just some little crappy weights there. And there'd be John training away. He was, you know, he he had that hunger and he was he had that athletic background and he was just big enough, you know, around six foot. Uh, Les Thatcher School. We had so many guys that were just cruiserweights, but there wasn't anywhere to go once once WCW shut down because that was my dream. I knew WWF was going to be really hard. It's like you had to be Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and I wasn't nowhere near any of that. But I knew I could be in that WCW cruiserweight division. They had so many guys, and Chris Jericho was gone. And it's just, man, it just, when I signed up for wrestling, there was WCW, ECW, and WWF, and just way more opportunities. But yeah, that was my dream to get in that WCW cruiserweight division. And who knows, you know, maybe maybe I could have been a, a little Chris Jericho type too, because I can really run my mouth on the microphone. Right. And but uh, yeah, 
No, but yeah, I'm sorry, I got off track there. But yeah, the, I had the, I do have a win over the former AEW World Champion John Moxley. It's like <laughs> I was waiting to put that footage out there sometime. Like, how about a rematch? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, because I was looking, I was looking at like uh, different matches that you had, and then um, that came up, and I was just like, wait a minute, he wrestled John Moxley, so I I clicked on it, yeah. and I sat down and watched it, and I was just like, like this is a this is a, 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 a good match. This was like one of his uh, his earlier days when he had like the the long hair. Um, is there any other matches that like um, that pop up in your mind like when people ask about like like your career in general? Oh, there's one match from HWA as well where I wrestled Jamie Noble, and he just stretched my ass, man. He, It's like, you're going to have a match with Jamie Noble. Whatever you get in the ring, you're going to earn it with him, man. He laid in the forearms, the Europeans, and he really toughened me up out there. It's like, we got pretty physical. He was very giving in the ring, but I had to earn it. Uh, there's another good match out there, uh, Bull Payne. There's some early, I had early, uh, when I was, HWA champion. Some of my my matches were against uh, Eli Drake, who was Sean Ricker then, but Eli Drake from NWA, TNA, all that stuff. Um, but probably my favorite match. It's on YouTube. Is and it's it, it has the most views as well. It's uh, I wrestled Haku for the WWF up at the Target Center in Minneapolis in two thousand one. And the great thing about that was. I had moved away from Cincinnati because I just went broke and I had to go back home. It's like, I got no more money. And so without Les's help, because Les trained you, but he, it wasn't his job to get you bookings, except right. provide you with local matches in the area, you know, get you some work. So we had shows like once a week, but I went back home. I sent in my promo tape, my back then you had to send a VHS tape. And 8 by 10 and all that to Kevin Kelly, who was in charge of talent relations at the time. And he got me booked for Minneapolis. And there I was, uh, doing my little Hindi squats by ringside. And I saw Tony Greer right there. And he goes, you don't mind getting beat up, do you, kid? I'm like, absolutely not. So so <laughs> next thing I know, I'm wrestling Haku at the, at the Target Center in Minneapolis right before Monday Night Raw went live. They had a syndicated show called Metal. It was a forerunner to uh, Velocity. This okay. was for syndicated on the weekends. And here we are, 20,000 people at Target Center. I'm wrestling Haku, who I saw when I was about uh, eight years old in Cedar Rapids at the Five Seasons Center when he was King Tonga. So here we are, full circle. I'm wrestling a guy I watched when I was a little kid live. And uh, and and I, like I've said, it's uh, Haku is great because it got to be a somewhat competitive match because if you get a match on Raw or SmackDown now, that you're lucky for them to even say your name. So yeah, I got true. yeah, I got some offense on a Haku, and he actually let me hit him with a missile drop kick, and he took a bump. And uh, Kevin Kelly and Michael Hayes uh, were talking about tough enough because that was coming up, and they said, "Oh, Rory Fox, who's the next Rory Fox in the making?" WWF presents uh, MTV's Tough Enough, you know, and like, they put me over uh, really, really well. That's great. Um, one thing I, I do have to say is like your uh, your your performance wise, like in in ring is great, and then you know like your personality just like just shines out. And I think a lot of people see that um, through like you know like the Major Brothers, and then with uh, Talking Shop Mania as well. Yeah. So and I, I love the work that you've done there too because it's just hilarious. Because you know when you look at these pay per views, it's it's more of a, like a, a comedian 
you know, a, a, co a comedy thing. So that kind of just shows more of your, like your, like what you could bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, wrestling today is more about the wrestling performance. Everyone has a really high work rate, but during COVID, you know, you got to do whatever you can to get over. And mm -hmm. 2020 revitalized the career of Rory Fox. It's like there's a whole new audience now that knows about me because of Talk and Shop and then the major podcasts. It's like there's times where I was interviewed on Talk and Shop and then I, I, I'm making appearances on major podcasts and then uh, Luke Gowles will make a Rory Fox reference again or Carl Anderson. It's like I'm getting referenced like weekly on these two different shows. It was crazy. And, yeah. and, it, and it wasn't, it wasn't about my wrestling. It was about the personality, you know, and as you get older, you got to have more personality because you mm -hmm. can't, you can't do those ring of honor main events or the two or five live stuff they do now. You know, it's like, right. you got to maximize everything you do in the ring. So I, I just let the personality shine and it, it you know, it, when I was interviewed on talk and shop, it's like they interviewed me, but I had already I've been at, I was at happy hour for two hours before that. So whatever I was thinking, I just said it. And right. to a lot of fans, that's refreshing. I'm like, holy shit, Rory's got nothing to lose. It's like, you know, he's, he's 45 now. What, what's he, what, what are you going to do? Not give him a contract. It's like, I'm not ideally who they want for a contract now, but right. whatever, I'm going to get whatever attention I can take. I'll take whatever right now. You know, I'm just making the most of it because, I can wrestle locally for another five years, but if you're going to give me some national spotlight, you know, I'm going to maximize it. And, you know, it, it put me back out there. And now people will research me and look up my YouTube stuff when saw when I could really go. And now I got a collar and elbow t-shirt right here. And I yeah, got my pro wrestling tees. Yeah. All during COVID. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's great. So, um, I know with, with the with the talking shop stuff. So you have you, you threw the challenge out there to Matt yeah. Cardona. So are are you ready? You have the tuxedo. You are good to go? No, we're, we're gonna see you at three. No, and that that's the thing. If it wasn't for COVID, this would have happened like last year. Uh -huh. Or it would it would have happened earlier. I mean, last year at this time it wouldn't because Matt was still with WWE. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, it would have happened at some point. But now you know when the world opens back up. Rory Fox versus Matt Cardona, the tuxedo match is going to happen, but no, but no, the tuxedo isn't ready yet because Big Mouth always ready. Matt Cardona said, "Did you see Talking Shop of Mania two or no?" Yeah, I did. Did you stick around for the closing credits where he he said he was going to send me a thousand dollars to get a uh, tuxedo? I was, I was waiting to see if he actually sent it. Oh hell no! <laughs> we got to call him out on it then. Oh, yeah. We need to make sure you get that thousand dollars. Matt Cardona, you're not always ready to give me the cash. So I, I, I did this uh, major podcast or flea market last week during uh -huh. uh, ma uh, Major Fest. And I, right. I, I said all my, my money is going towards the Rory Fox tuxedo fund. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the way they give me a hard time about my earbuds, I should have thrown in, yeah, give me one of them nice uh, headphones like the Major Brothers got there. I, I want know, one right? of those. But yeah. Dude, we all need one of those. So, um, so I have one more question or two more. Yeah. So for anyone now, cause you said that, you know, you just wrestle like locally. So anybody that comes to you now and says like, I want to get into this business. Um, uh, what is some advice that you would give somebody? 
But yeah, yeah, I wrestle locally, but also I have like a like a four or five hour circle around the Midwest. I like that's I'm willing to travel, you know, like five hours uh-huh. or six hours right. if the money's right. But yeah, but I would say it's different now. Like when I trained, that that's uh, one of the things I would change if I could do it over again was Cincinnati was a great place for me to start, but uh, I spent three years three years there. And I went home for a year and a half. Then I went back for another uh, four years. That you want to do three years of what? Go, like now, I would say go to the academy up in Minnesota. If you're in the Midwest, I would go to the academy in Minnesota. You know, that's Mr. Kennedy and Davari and those guys. Those are tremendous trainers. I mean, you got you got the Black and Brave Academy over in the Quad City area there. But uh, what I would say now is. Do your research. Get go to a great place and get trained. Uh, wrestle in the area. Get as many shows as you can with that trainer. But otherwise, just go around the surrounding states there. But uh, after a couple years, though, move on. Like it, you know, it's like the territory days. They used to be go to one place for a year, another place.